It's Monday, May 7th. This is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today, no one. I am, I am all alone in the studio, but fortunately, on the line with me from Omaha, Nebraska, Uncle Joe Mager. Joe, how are you, man? I'm great. How are you? I'm I'm well, and you're out in Omaha because this weekend we had the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. Um, I know the Value Investing Congress is is going on. You've you've kindly taken a few minutes break from that to to sort of give the update on uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Let's talk about that because you know last year when we talked about sort of the big stories. Uh, coming out of last year's Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, the big the big question, sort of going into that, was around David Sokol. Yeah. And and you said last year, you know, the the headline is Sokolgate is over, um, and that Buffett and Munger dealt with questions immediately regarding David Sokol. I, I think it's fair to say that one of the big questions going into this year's was Buffett's health. Yeah. And uh, based on the coverage I saw, it sounds like it took a little while before that question came up. It did. No one really wanted to press the subject, and it's understandable because it's a really touchy, sensitive thing when you're talking about someone's health, um, particularly someone that everyone respects. Uh, in this case, it it took a while before someone you know muscled up and asked Buffett head on, and Andrew Ross Sorkin just asked finally, like Warren, how are you feeling? And he said, I feel great, and talked at length about that. But you know, he didn't really need to say it because you could see it. Uh, he was totally energetic all day. I saw him at about 6.30 or 7 in the morning uh, with a you know parade or gaggle of reporters following him around exhibits, uh, totally full of energy. You know, he's a human encyclopedia. His memory is sharp as ever. Uh, anyone watching would definitely come away feeling a lot more relaxed about his health. And it's funny how that works because, to be honest, watching him doesn't tell you quite as much as the data and the data says that someone of his age and, you know, the the prognosis he has with prostate cancer is overwhelmingly likely to recover just fine from it. Uh, in fact, it's virtually a 100% probability that he will be fine, uh, you know, once he receives treatment. So I'm feeling pretty good about that, and I give it to him. He's He's a master at taking concerns people have and putting them to bed quickly. He's just a great communicator, and he knows the tough questions people are going to ask, and he's prepared for them. Um, we had a bunch of people out there with you, uh, Rich Griefner, uh, Brendan Burns uh, from the Fool.com side, uh, Jason Moser, Mike Olson, um, Scott Phillips from Fool Australia was there as well. And uh, for anyone listening interested, uh, great site uh, you can go to with a lot of information that the guys compiled over the weekend. It's just berkshire.fool.com. Um Joe, mainstream media, the comments from Buffett and Munger about Apple and Google and even Facebook, that that got a lot of coverage. What is one thing that you observed uh, that you think is meaningful for investors that we're really not hearing a lot about? Yeah, well, comments about tech stocks that are hot will sell newspapers or used to back when people sold newspapers. But, you know, the real story here was kind of underneath the radar. And to me, it was a little more direct guidance from Buffett on how he thinks about Berkshire's valuation. Uh, many years ago, he started kind of trickling out hints on how he thinks about value in the business. And ultimately, it led to this valuation approach called the two-column method, which involves adding up the value of Berkshire's per-share investments 
with an estimate of value for its operating companies, so like Burlington Northern, Seas Candies, that kind of thing. Well, the problem is, you know, this framework had been developed, but nobody actually knew what Buffett thought of valuing the operating businesses. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, you were a dog who'd caught the car, and you're like, what now? <laughs> now what do I do with this thing? Yeah, and for the first time this weekend, he actually gave some numbers around that. And so he came out and said uh, that he looks at it from a range of 9 to 10 times earnings for the operating businesses. Um, what's fascinating about that is that when you take that number, let's say 9, it's more conservative, and you kind of funnel it through this framework that he's put out there, you come out to about $107 per B share uh, based on year-end valuation results and, and balance sheet data, which I will say is exactly the valuation we have at Inside Value. So obviously Buffett reads Inside Value, and that's where he gets his numbers. Oh, sure. Uh, right. But, you know, kidding aside, it's totally intuitive. And, you know, the way we approach that number was similar, but we got there a different way. Uh, we actually looked at the historical premium that the market's been willing to pay for Berkshire, which has been around 52% above book value over a rolling 10-year period. And when you apply that to book, you actually get $107. So to me, it was just fascinating. It literally came out to within 20 cents, actually 16 cents apart on the valuation. And that to me was fascinating. And the fact that he thinks about it that way and that that's how the long-term valuation really works kind of validates that thinking. Not that you know, Buffett's opinion needs to necessarily be validated by the stock market. I know that we've talked before about Buffett's eventual successor at Berkshire, and Buffett has said, we've chosen the person, but the person doesn't know it yet. Reading the tea leaves from the comments that he made and Munger made over the weekend, is it looking even more of a lock that it's ultimately going to be Ajit Jain? Yeah, he left so many, you know, he's just throwing tea leaves out there. It's raining tea leaves for Ajit. Um, Ajit runs the reinsurance business at Berkshire Hathaway and has received a lot of praise from Buffett over the years for basically creating this business out of thin air. And Buffett loves him for his capital allocation skills and his humility. And I think that when Buffett is pondering who he would want to run Berkshire over a long time horizon after he's gone, those are exactly the things that he values. And, you know, Buffett is a famously hands-off manager of the companies that he owns. Uh, he actually has some managers who he only speaks to on a yearly basis because they are like, you know, Warren, we're pretty much fine unless you want to talk, and he gives them that autonomy. So, you know, Berkshire didn't really need a David Sokol, who's a really hands-on operator bulldog, you know, for the long-term success of the business. I think Ajit's a much better fit culturally. Um, because he'll give those give those people that autonomy and let you know Berkshire's managers do what they're good at, and he'll do what he's good at, which is making money. And I think ultimately that's a pretty good recipe. And as a shareholder, I'm you know happy to see the progression that you know it looks like Ajit will be the guy. Um, I've never seen Ajit Jain or or heard him being interviewed, but um, I realize that it's far more important for him to be um, a great steward of the business, and it sounds like in terms of the synergies you talked about, being a hands-off manager in the way that Buffett is, clearly that's, that's more important than 
um, a single weekend. And yet, I can't help but wonder to what extent, if it is a G-Chain or whoever it is, that there's going to be some level of pressure um, to perform in this same way. I mean, Buffett is a great investor, a great manager of this business. But at the same time, he is also an ambassador for the U.S. economy, for investing in general. Um, does Ajit Jain... Uh, is, is he going to be Jake Plummer or Aaron Rodgers? That's well, the question. Yeah, I mean, is he, is he going ha- to have um, some level of that ability as well? Because I think that certainly, I mean, you've been to several of these Berkshire Hathaway annual meetings. There will be that expectation. Not that he or anyone is going to be just like Warren Buffett, but my hunch is there's going to be some level of expectation that, you know what, we're going to want you to sit up on stage for six hours with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Becky Quick and take questions. Um, do you think a G chain is is up for something like that? I don't. I don't think so. I, I don't think anyone is virtually up to it nearly as much as Buffett. I mean, the stamina that it would take to get up there and respond to questions like that, and you know, the breadth of breadth and depth of knowledge of your own business, the U.S. economy. Uh, you know, what Buffett and Munger have, especially together, is unmatched. And I do think there will be some pressure from people who want to kind of see the tradition, you know, keep going. But in this case, I think that when Buffett and Munger both eventually do step aside, that, you know, Berkshire will continue to have an annual meeting, uh, I'm sure, just like every other you know public company. But it won't be the, you know, giant spectacle <laughs> that it is today. Uh, there won't be nearly as many people. I mean, this time around, there were probably twenty-five, thirty thousand people here, and I'd wager that'll fall precipitously. And, and you know, the locals will still come, but you know, will I still fly to Omaha? Nah, probably not. <laughs> and there's no slight to Ajit. It's just, it's you know, not going to be the same without Warren and Charlie. Uh, as I mentioned, you are not just there for the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Um, the the value. I'm here but- for the stakes. You're here. For- <laughs> There's some good stakes in Omaha, aren't there? There are. Um, you're there for the Value Investing Congress. Any um, any surprises in terms of what you've heard from any of the presentations? Any big themes this year? Yeah, the, you know, the, the big themes I'm seeing are people continue to look for ways, two, two different themes. One is natural gas. Uh, you know, in the fool, we talk a lot about natural gas. Uh, natural gas prices have really been drubbed uh, because production has been going up a lot here in the U.S., mm-hmm. and that's driven down the price, and natural gas stocks or producers of companies that uh, or stocks of producers of natural gas have been drubbed. Now, stocks of companies that actually profit off widespread use of natural gas have done pretty well, so like Westport Innovations, for example. Um, so there are a lot of different ways to play it, but the theme here is that natural gas prices will recover and the companies like Ultra Petroleum or Range Resources that actually yank it out of the ground and own the leases of the property where it comes from will be doing very well coming out of that. Uh, you know, another theme is the oil field and natural gas drillers and service guys. So they've seen a little bit of pricing, <laughs> pricing pressure, but, you know, if natural gas prices come back, uh, you'll see that tide turn and those stocks should do well. Uh, so that's one big one. Another is the interest rate story. Uh, U.S. interest rates have been so low for so long, and investors have kind of become used to that in a way. But I think we're all going to have to readjust once you know the ten-year Treasury moves up from you know a level of like below two percent today, which is 
phenomenally low up to more reasonable levels of north of 6%. And that is a pretty huge trade-off and shift, and that's going to impact a lot of businesses and business models. All right. I know you got to get back to uh, the conference, uh, but before I let you go, Give me give me a recommendation next time I'm in Omaha, a restaurant to go to, a bar, something. What's what's uh, what's something that uh, anyone visiting Omaha, Omaha should check out? I'll just say I love Omaha. Everyone here is so friendly, like everyone. That I guess I'm just so used to living in D.C. now where <laughs> people are rude and short, but here, man, serious hospitality. Um, we went to Gorots and Piccolos, which are Buffett's favorite places to eat here. I preferred Piccolos. It was very good. And the root beer float is excellent. Really? The root beer float? Yep. Did you have that for breakfast? I mean, you're a healthy guy. <laughs> uh, I had some pretty unhealthy breakfast this week. There was a lot of five-hour energy and sugar-free Red Bull. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, Got to give a shout-out to uh, Kyle Steenson at the Liberty Tavern. Um, he's the manager there, uh, a restaurant also uh, definitely worth checking out. We had a, You guys had a, a Motley Fool member event there, yes? Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, we had Fool members, premium members come in from around the country. We actually had, uh, I would say, four or five different Fools who I met who came from outside the country. So oh. a couple from Belgium, uh, a couple from Finland. Uh, it was amazing to chat those people up, and, and some of them are listeners of the show. So it was pretty fun to talk to them about you know, the podcast and the radio show and all that stuff. It was a really good time, and it's it's great to be able to actually meet, you know, the people that you're putting content out there, out there for, you know, face-to-face. It uh, really kind of brings home the importance of what we do. That's great. That's great. And, again, yeah. thanks to Kyle, who not only uh, managed a great event at Liberty Tavern, but also hooked us up with a conference room at the Hilton, at the adjoining Hilton, so Joe could actually be on a landline today yeah. for, for this conversation. All right, Joe, I will let you get back to the conference. Thanks for being here, man. Get home. Get home safe. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.